we ready to get into this? Um, it's our time when we uh, go into God's word, eat food that our, our souls need. So today we're concluding the series on the gospel. Um, we've been kind of looking at the gospel, not just through the propositions that the Bible provides to describe what it is, but, but through these powerful pictures, these images. And, um, you know, pictures can sometimes say things that, that words can't. And that's why God is communicating to us all the time through pictures and through story, uh, through images. And oftentimes, the, the, the words and the propositions speak to our mind, but the pictures and the images and the metaphors actually speak to our hearts. Um, I mean, just, just one of the easiest examples of, of this, maybe one of the greatest propositions in the Bible about the gospel is John 3.16. It's probably a verse that many of us know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's such a powerful proposition in and of itself. However, I'm going to argue that you can't understand the full meaning of that proposition unless you understand the picture that comes right before it. Which is why John 3.16 begins with for or therefore to connect us, that proposition, to the picture. And what's John 3.15? As the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And then you have to know a little bit about that picture and the story where it comes from in Numbers 21, but when you understand that picture that this snake that was put on a bronze pole and how it provided healing for everyone who looked upon it, when Jesus says, the Son of Man will be lifted up that way, I will be like that snake pinned to a pole. And that's how God so loves the world, to provide healing for the world that way. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we've, we've been looking at these, these pictures, because they uh, bring out and bring forth uh, all that God has for us in his story, his word. So today we're going to look at the ultimate picture. And I can say this, and I think you're going to agree with me. Even though we've grown so numb to it because we see it everywhere this still is a picture the cross or maybe to put it in a way that when you close your eyes which this should tell you something is a picture or a metaphor because when you close your eyes you can actually see it a crucifixion and that 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 picture that 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 term is 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 so central to the whole biblical story and it, it saddens me sometimes to think that we have grown so numb to this picture um, I mean I bet if I had you raise your hands right now if you're wearing a cross right now which is a, a good thing or not a good thing or a bad thing um, but we see crosses we, we wear crosses we see crosses on buildings um, it's just become such a part of our everyday life but before the cross or the crucifixion the crucifix, was a fashion symbol or a religious symbol. It was first a political symbol. It was a political symbol uh, used by the Romans 
that anyone who does not submit to our rule, this is what we do to you. We don't just kill you, we crucify you. And that's why this word in the first century, a word that is used throughout the New Testament, and a picture and an image, I want us to step into that first century world and, 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 and feel the offense of this picture of the cross. Now, what billboards are in our world, crucifixions were, were, were that in the Roman world. It was very common on a busy highway in the most traveled places as you see billboards for a Roman or someone living in the Roman Empire to see a crucifixion. Because this was all part of of the gospel that, that Rome promised to the world because Rome too promised a gospel called Pax Romana. This Roman peace and prosperity that as, as, as Rome moves into the chaos of the world, we're gonna bring this kind of peace, but it's a peace that came at that kind of uh, cost. You cross us, we put you on a cross. A Roman citizen could not be crucified. Romans only crucified slaves and enemies of the state. What does it tell us then that Christ was crucified? Or that the religious leaders of Jesus' day saying to Pilate didn't just say kill him. They said crucify him. In fact, uh, this word, um, because the cross even carried such offense to the Romans, in, in Latin it's the word crux. It was a four-letter word in the, in the Roman world. Uh, in polite company, you wouldn't uh, use the word crux. And yet the God of the universe, I want you to think about this, took a symbol that the Romans used for themselves to say to the world, we win, you lose. And God had the audacity to take this picture. It's almost like he's robbing from the Romans and making this picture his own and says, this is my gospel. And the church had the audacity to also say to the world, we preach Christ crucified. Now Mark's gospel I think it's going to push this further, and let me just give you a little context before we turn to Mark chapter 15. Uh, Mark is a disciple of, of Peter. We, we know this from the text. Um, in 1 Peter 5, verse 13, Peter says, She who is in Babylon, and we've learned that Babylon is a code word for Rome. That's what the Jewish people, how they talk about Rome. She who is in, in Rome, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son, Mark. And anytime uh, someone refers to someone as their son, that, that's discipleship language. That's what Paul says about Timothy, my true son. And so Mark is one of Peter's disciples. And um, other uh, Christian history or Christian tradition tells us that Mark followed Peter to Rome 
he would translate Peter's sermons into the Latin and into the Greek. And we also know that while Peter and Mark are in Rome, Rome burns and Emperor Caesar Nero uh, blames the Christians for this burning of Rome and unleashes this horrific persecution on the Christians living in Rome, hundreds of people are crucified. One of which is Mark's mentor, Peter, who's crucified upside down. And this, then, is why Mark writes his gospel to the Christians living in Rome. And when, it, when he comes to Jesus' crucifixion, it's my opinion that Mark is going to take another image from that Roman world to help convey and explain the meaning of Christ crucified. And that image or picture if a person had even seen it once in their lifetime, they would have said, this is the greatest thing I've ever witnessed. And it's a Roman triumph. A Roman triumph was this enormous spectacle that only the Romans could pull off that we might call uh, a military or a victory parade. Because as Rome's empire is expanding and it's expanding through their military conquests, uh, they would celebrate all their conquests uh, with these massive, enormous military parades in the city of Rome. All this pomp, all this circumstance that, that they could put into this. In fact, Josephus, who witnessed one of these things, said it is impossible to describe the pageantry of such an event. He talks about Rome's legions, how in full uniform and perfect rank and file would parade through the streets. And then they'd be followed uh, by the charioteers. And then all of Rome's elite divisions. And then wave after wave after that would be all the spoils of war. These carts carrying gold and silver and artifacts from the, their temples with statutes and all these exotic things. In fact, one of the uh, fan favorites were, were the animals from this territory that they conquer. So there'd be giraffes and elephants and lions and tigers, all a part of this. But the main event is when Caesar came out in his chariot, escorted by his praetorian guard. Because this whole event was orchestrated with such detail to acclaim Caesar as Lord and God. Hail Caesar. Hail to the victor. Hail to the conquering hero. Hail, hail to Caesar, Savior of the world. Wow, you can make a song out of that. <laughs> you guys didn't even catch that, man. It's college football season, folks. <laughs> Seriously. Rome knew how to put on a program, a spectacle. In fact, Rome introduced the word to liturgy. These spectacles had a specific order. And let me run through the order. Have your Bibles open to Mark 15. The whole thing centered on Caesar. Caesar's day would begin at the field of Mars. This was, this was a campus 
outside of Rome where ancient Roman armies uh, would gather on, on the eve of a, of a great battle to worship the war god Mars. So Caesar now on this day would gather here with the Praetorian Guard. Uh, the Praetorian Guard are, is Caesar's bodyguard. Um, it's these uh, elite troops consisting of 600 men, elite special forces uh, soldiers. In Mark 15, verse 16, Jesus is brought to the praetorium and surrounded by a whole company of soldiers. In fact, that word in the original language for whole company is a technical term for the six to 800 elite soldiers. And see, Mark highlights, even uh, in this verse, uh, the place is the praetorium. Now, what does praetorium mean to you? It means nothing, because we don't know what it means. It's not an English word. Uh, but to a Roman audience, they knew exactly uh, what this meant. And Mark is giving them details that would immediately start to connect this whole thing to a Roman triumph. So it's with the Praetorium Guard that the Caesar would be dressed up as um, Jupiter. Uh, Jupiter is the, the chief god in the Roman pantheon. His temple is where this whole thing is going to process, where it's going to culminate. In fact, what they would do is they take the purple robe off the statue of Jupiter, which was in the temple to Jupiter, and his golden uh, crown, and they would take that and place that on Caesar. Because Caesar was believed to be Jupiter in the flesh, Jupiter incarnate. Mark 15, verse 17, and they took a purple robe and placed it on Jesus. And they made a crown of thorns and placed it on Jesus' head. Once the, the, the crown and the purple robe are placed on Caesar, the Praetorian Guard began to chant, Hail Caesar. And some would even bow the knee and pay homage to Caesar as, as Divi Caesar, as, as, as divine Caesar. Look at Mark 15, 18 and 19. And they began to call out to him, Hail King of the Jews. And again, as they struck him on the head with staff and spit on him, and falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. Next, the procession would hit the streets, and Caesar would be in his war chariot being led by the Praetorian Guard. He'd make his way through the packed crowds uh, lining the streets, and he'd go through the Roman Forum and down the Via Sacred, which means the sacred way. Verse 20, the soldiers led Jesus out. And today we know the name of this street. It's called the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. Caesar's journey would end at the Temple of Jupiter, which stood at the top of Capitoline Hill. Capitoline means head hill uh, because there's a myth that when Rome was being constructed, they found an undecayed head there. Verse 22, they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which literally translated means head hill. The place of the skull. Here at the temple of Jupiter, then uh, a priest would present Caesar two things, a sacrificial bull, bull along with a bowl of wine mixed with myrrh. Uh, Caesar would not drink the bowl of wine. Instead, he would pour it out on the bowl to symbolically uh, say, my life is being poured into this bowl. That bowl would then be sacrificed symbolically to say, Caesar is offering his life as a sacrifice to the god Jupiter. Verse 23 and verse 24, they offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, but Jesus did not drink it. And then they crucified him. 
Caesar, after this, would then ascend the steps of Jupiter's temple like a god with his first and second command on his right and his left. Verse 27, they crucified two criminals with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. When Caesar got to the top of the steps, the crowd would continue to acclaim him. Hail Caesar, hail Caesar, show us you're a god, show us you're a god. Verse 32, the chief priests and the teachers of the law said, let this Christ, this king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And the packed crowds then would, would, would wait for the gods to send them some physical sign uh, that, that the gods were recognizing Caesar as divine. Verse 33, at noon, darkness fell over the land for three hours. In verse 38, the temple of the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. And my favorite verse in all of this, verse 39. And when this Roman centurion saw, not that, but how Jesus was killed, he said, surely this man is the son of God. And see what Mark is doing here with his Roman audience, as, as, as they're looking at not just the reality of Christ crucified, but now all of a sudden, many of their friends or maybe family members, fellow Christians, are being crucified. A, a symbol that Rome says, you lose, we win. Mark is saying, uh-uh. The cross is not a defeat. It's a triumph. It's the greatest triumph against the, the ultimate enemy. Because in the cross, I mean, there's, there's so many aspects to the cross, but, but, but one of them goes all the way back to Genesis 3, when all of a sudden all creation has been snake-bitten, and it's poison, is infecting everything. The cross is God's, like, injection into the world and into that venom, it's the anti-venom that's now going to bring healing and redemption to the world. And we need to see this. We, we, we need to see that the cross um, is the victory of God over everything that ails us. Sin, the curse, all decay, all disease, even death itself. And when you think about all those images that we've looked at um, in, in this gospel series, and sometimes uh, the image was the one that pointed to our human condition, like, like our, our, our homelessness, that we are estranged and, and away from the home for which we are made. But, but it's through the cross that we're brought back to a good, good father who loves us and delights in us. Or our whoredom, something that was almost uncomfortable to just sit and listen as, as God described our human condition in that way, how unfaithful we've been to him, yet through the cross we are made into virgins. Or, 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 or that leprous condition, I mean what a profound um, and powerful picture leprosy is to speak of, of our moral and, and, and spiritual condition but how Naaman went into the water and he came out with skin smooth like that of a little baby 
How does that happen to us? It's through the cross. And I want to acknowledge right now that, that, that to the world, the cross is foolishness. The cross offends our sense of sensibilities. I mean, it, it, it's the complete opposite of the way that our world conducts its business. It's about the most upside down thing there is. I love it because as, as Jesus uh, is hanging on that cross, uh, the world thinks it's condemning Jesus and making a mockery of him, but really uh, the cross is, is God making a mockery of the world and, 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 and the world's way. It's making a mockery of Caesar. It's making a mockery of, of, of all the, the, the pomp and circumstance and all the chest bumping and all the look at me and, and, and all the, the people who kind of live their life to make it to the top and to get as much as they can and your life for my life and to have as much control as possible. Because on the cross, Christ wins by losing. He triumphs through defeat. His power, his power is unleashed through weakness and suffering. And what I just said contradicts even almost everything that we've been taught, everything that our, our world screams at us. The way up is not up. The way up is down. The way that we actually get life and experience life is by losing our life. The way that we actually get power and unleash power is, is when we give power up. The way we get rich is, is, is not through accumulation, but it's, it's, it's giving it away. And the way we experience life I'll say it. It's through death. Because that's at the heart of what the cross is and what the cross means. And so the cross is the, 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 the central picture of the, of the biblical story. It, it's the picture to which all the other pictures point. And it's on the cross that... I want us to see the God of the universe with all the power who created the galaxies and put everything in place. This is where he puts his stake in the ground and says, look at me. Look at me in my weakness, in my humility, in my poverty. And don't stop there. Because here is where the greatest power that the world will ever realize is unleashed. It is the power of God. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. <laughs> He's helping these, these, these Romans, these Roman Christians who live in this uh, Roman city, Corinth. Understand uh, this image of uh, this picture of the crucifixion. Verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is. It's foolishness. 
He says, but to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. And in verse uh, 27, he says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world, the, the, the despised things, the things that our, our world would call nothing to make nothing of the things that the world says are something. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast only in the Lord. What do you boast in today? To boast is to, is to glory in something. It, it, it's to put your confidence in something. It, 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 it's something that you base your life on. Uh, your boast is what makes you feel significant. It what, it's what makes you feel worthy. It, 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 what, what defines you and, and gives you a sense of you. I like how Martin Luther said it. He said, you know what you boast in by how you defend yourself to yourself when things go badly. I like that because that's exactly what we do when things go bad. We start having this whole conversation with ourselves, right? And we start having to defend ourselves. And, and, and um, he says, when you're rejected, you're still saying, I'm still lovable because. Because of what? Whatever that what is, is what you boasted. Or when you fail, your mind still says, yet I'm still acceptable because. And whatever that because is, is what your boast is. And Paul says a Christian is someone who recognizes that there's only one thing in which to boast, and that is the cross of Christ. Because the cross of Christ is the only thing that matters when it comes to my sense of worth, my value, my significance, uh, the sense of who I am. And that's why Paul says in, in, in Galatians 6, verse 14, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through whom the world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to it. I boast in Christ crucified, because Christ crucified means that I'm crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. And I want you to hear the awesome thing that Paul is saying. Paul is saying that as I boast in the cross and I make that my boast, I am dead to the world. And the world is dead to me. That's a, that's a lofty thing for Paul to say. And when he's talking world here, he's not talking the people of the world that he's dead to. He's talking about the world's system. He's talking about the world's stuff. He's talking about the world's values. He's talking about um, the world's worldview, how the world thinks. He says, I'm dead to that. He's saying, it doesn't control me. It doesn't rule me. It doesn't own me. It doesn't phase me. I don't need what it tells me I need. I don't need to become what it tells me I need to become. I don't need to look 
the way it says I need to look. It can't worry me. It can't discourage me. It can't make me bitter. I'm dead to the world. I want that. Because when I hear that, I have to be honest enough to say, I need that. Because then I'm starting to say, Paul, because I need that, how, how, how can you really say that? And Paul would simply say, because the power of the cross just destroys the power of the world. And the world's hold on us. And he would say that, 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 that when, I, when I boast in the cross and I, I make that the, the, the sole boast of, of my life, I, I, I get what the cross says about me, what it speaks to me. And he would say, first, the cross humbles me because it tells me that I'm, I'm that messed up that the God of the universe had to go to that length to fix me. And Paul would say, that is so good for my self-righteous heart. That is so good for, for, for those things that cause me to exalt myself and look down on other people. It just humbles me and puts me at everyone's level. But then he would say, the cross also speaks to me that God loves me that much. That he would go to that length, that I am that worth it to God. And he would say in a humble way, do you see how that just exalts me? And while it humbles me all the way to the ground, it also exalts me to the skies at the same time, giving me this humble confidence and this confident humility. And see, it's the power of the cross that, that, that has the power to actually set us free free from the world, free from the world's hold on us because as the world sinks its teeth in us, we don't even realize how we become slaves to the world. We're in shackles. But here's what else Paul would say. Paul would say that the cross can't come into our life the Caesar way. It can't come in by our own might, by our own power, through our own effort, through our own uh, attempts to bring glory to our lives. He would say the power of the cross is the power of God that comes into my life through suffering and weakness and pain and difficulty. Which is why Paul would say, you know, I, I say boast in one thing, the cross of Christ, but I'll also say in light of that, I will boast in my weaknesses because in my weaknesses, in my difficulties, in my struggles, Christ's power is perfected in me. And Paul borrows for the, for, from this imagery of a Roman triumph. That to me, as we come to the end of the series and we've heard the gospel, and we need to ask ourselves this important question, what now is our response to be to the gospel, to the love of God that's in Christ? How do we respond to it? To Christ crucified. Go to 2 Corinthians 2, or you can just listen to me read it. 
verse 14. <laughs> I can just see Paul just saying this, just almost tears in his eyes in joy. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumph, in Christ's procession. And he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere, but we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, but to those who are perishing, to the one where the aroma that brings death, to the other the aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Paul just made use of, of, of this Roman triumph, this, this, this victory parade in which Christ is, is at the head and the one who's acclaimed now as, as the great victor, as, as, as Lord and God. And so then you have to ask yourself then, who is Paul then in this picture? Is he one of the soldiers in the Praetorian Guard that's just kind of marching up there with Christ? Or is he one of those uh, elite generals that walk up the steps to Christ right and left? Listen, there's a piece to the, to, to the triumph that I didn't give you. Because as Caesar would make his way down the Via Sacra, the sacred way, following behind him would be wave after wave after wave of prisoners of war. It, were, it was the conquered, and it wasn't just the soldiers that they just conquered, but it would include men, women, and children, all of them naked and in chains, being paraded through the streets, most of them to the slave market where they'd be sold as slaves, but for those notorious criminals, those, those war heroes for the enemy, they would be marched into the arena. Or they'd be offered as a sacrifice with all the burning of incense to the gods. So that sacrifice went up to the gods as a sweet smelling aroma. And Paul says, in Christ's triumph, that's me. I'm like a Slave, all chained up, being led to my death. And he starts it off, but thanks be to God. And even I have to ask, like, Paul, this is some gruesome imagery to talk about who you are in Christ. I think Paul would first of all just say, yeah, but you know what I was before I came to Christ? I was his chief enemy. Like, I was doing everything I could to, to, to put that whole movement out until that Damascus road and Christ conquered me. And he would say, just like all those prisoners are, are lying in chain, uh, being marched to the street, streets to give honor and claim and fame to Caesar. Look at how powerful and mighty Caesar is. Me being chained as a slave of Christ brings glory to him. But I think Paul would even say more than that. When I found Christ, I found his path. 
and I learned the, the, the paradox that, that, that Christ gave us, that the first will be last, and the last will be first, and the humble will be exalted, and the exalted will be humbled, and that if that little grain of seed goes into the ground and it dies, it'll bear fruit. That life, the abundant life, the resurrection Christ, eternal life, comes through death. And so he would say, yes, Christ crucified. It is my message, but it's far more than my message. Christ crucified is my life. It's, it's the path I walk. For I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in him by faith. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And I get, I, I get a lot of people over the years, who ask a question that I should be in their shoes asking the same question because I'm not up here. I'm, I'm, I'm right with you. Even in this question, like, Rod, why am I not changing? Why am I not growing? Why is my life not bearing fruit? And some of us have been going to church our whole life. We've been getting more information, but we haven't been getting transformation because for the life-transforming power, it's power of the gospel to be experienced in a person's life because it's something that's experienced. It's a real power that brings real change. For that to happen in my life, my life must follow the life of Jesus, which means my life and your life must become that grain of wheat that just like him goes into the ground and it dies. But when it dies, it bears fruit. And see, that's why we can hear sermon after sermon and we can try our best to be a good person. But that's not what Jesus was going for. That's not what Paul and the, and the early apostles are about. They're not messing around. They're saying, you want the life-transforming power of the cross in your life? You need to die. Because until we die... Until our ego goes into the ground and is buried. We'll hear the message. We may propositionally know the message. But the message of Christ crucified will never change us. So are you in Christ's procession? And where are you? What are you striving to be? Are you striving to be at the front? <laughs> Part of the charioteers in your chariot? <laughs> Maybe even more than that, you're trying to be part of the Praetorian Guard? Or are you like Paul? I'm at the back of the line and I'm chained up. And I'm being led to my death.
thanks be to God. Because the death, the death is through the death of Christ. And if we want to die to this world, and we want to die to ourselves, and we want the resurrection life of Christ to be brought into us and to live out of us, it will only happen until we go into the ground and die. And that's what the gospel is worthy of. It's not worthy of sprinkling a little Jesus on our life and moving on with living life for self. He died for us because he loves us. And now we get the privilege as he went down to go down. And as he suffered to suffer and as he died to die knowing that that death will produce life. God, give us the grace and the strength to respond to your gospel in a worthy way. God, put your finger on things in our, our lives that show us the world's hold on us. Just to expose the things that we're boasting in. That your cross nullifies. God, give us the courage and the strength to place our life in you. In Jesus' name. And that's it, God. The power of the resurrection through intimate knowledge of your sufferings. God, it's not an easy way, it's a hard way, but it's the right way, it's the good way, it's the only way, and it's the way that leads to life. So Jesus, as you are a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that caused the most pleasing aroma, God, may we too be living sacrifices. Together, God, may we move into our world as this cross-shaped community with the power of God resting on us and the power of the cross in us and live through us, God. May you use us to change our neighborhoods, the city, and people who don't know you for your glory. Amen. Have a great week.